Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. And welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb, and in this week's episode, I have the wonderful Nicole Goring joining me. Nicole is one of the very original admins for the Beyond Sleep Training Project group. And Nicole and I actually got to know each other online before the project had even begun because we had started blogging around the same time. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and Nicole's writing really caught my eye because she was somebody who was also quite outspoken about sleep training culture. I can hear lots of noise in my house. I'm sorry for the background. (laughs) It's a public holiday here. And so, yeah, it's going to be a noisy episode, I think. They're playing out there. Um, And, yeah, so Nicole had started blogging and she was, I just love the way that Nicole can hammer home some truths. We had quite different experiences, though, that were leading us into a very similar path in terms of things that we talked about. But it was actually through a different group called Co-Sleeping, I think, that we actually met each other. And um, we had similar ideas for um, the need for a peer support group um, or a a space to tell the stories of people who weren't sleep training. And so um, Nicole's been a fabulous person to have around um, our group and to be able to bounce ideas off, one of the smartest people I know. So thank you very much for being a guest, Nicole. You're very welcome. And you're a teacher by trade. Yes, Um, I am. And that's you now run a small independent school uh, uh, down in Brisbane? It's not, yeah, it's not a school. It's a homeschooling uh, support co-op thing. It's kind of hard to explain because we're kind of the only one that there is in Brisbane, so we don't really fit into anything that people recognise easily. Um, but, yeah, we provide... Uh, a drop-off service for homeschooling families up to three days a week. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. But we are here today to hear more about your journey beyond sleep training with your family and your experiences around sleep without sleep training. So without further ado, would you like to talk to us about your little crew? Sure. So um, I have three kids now, one uh, 13. She's my stepdaughter. Um, my son Callaghan, who's eight, and Theo, who is one and a bit now. Um, so I spent the first what four years of Callaghan's life as a single mum, and then repartnered, and now get to enjoy the benefits of having a hands-on dad, uh, which is great, <laughs> much better um, in a lot of ways. 
So um, Callaghan was very much a refusing to sleep child. He still is, quite honestly. Um, he struggles to get to sleep before 10, 10.30 at night, every night, and has done his whole life. Um, but he's also the third in my family to be like that. I was the same and my aunt was the same. So quite early on, I knew that it wasn't uh, something that was wrong with him or with my parenting as such. It was just something that was going to be his his way. Um, but I still got sucked into all that sleep training culture stuff. You know, I remember having books out from the library that were talking about how you needed to have a routine and I would get this big whiteboard and I would write the routine and I would stick it out in the hallway and try and follow the routine and try and be like, okay, he has to nap at this time and he has to be awake for this amount of time and then he has to nap again at this time and spending ages trying to get that to happen and it just wouldn't happen. And even as a really young baby, like maybe six, seven months old, um, maybe even earlier than that, if I tried to implement some sort of pre-nap routine, he would figure it out within a day. And he would just scream and scream and scream if you the second you started trying to do that thing. So I actually ended up spending most of the first two years of his life trying to trick him into sleeping um, by doing something different every time because if he cottoned on to something like even just doing nursery rhymes and stuff, if you'd done that a couple of times before asleep, then he would be like, no way, I'm not doing nursery rhymes, even just reading them as a book. Or <laughs> it was like, no, I'm not having a bar of this because this means sleep. So uh, we had a long time where we had to just kind of not do, you know, not read a nursery rhyme book for ages. Um, and then, yeah, so I'd be like having to try and do something slightly different. And then he got to this point where, he would just scream the second he walked into a bedroom, even if it wasn't my bedroom. Um, he, yeah, you walked into a room that had a bed in it, he would freak out. Um, and it's kind of strange because we hadn't, like, I mean, I was trying to push the routine thing, but I never did any sort of responsive settling or cry it out or anything like that. I was literally just trying to get him to nap on a schedule with me um but yeah even just that was just not something that he was prepared to do and that was enough to raise his stress levels yeah yeah and quite quite strongly um I do wonder how much of it was kind of I mean, I did, I did sleep with him most of the time, but I was also falling for that trap of you should be able to roll away and you should be able to go and leave them. Uh, and so I was trying to do that too. Um, so I'd fall, you know, have him fall asleep with me and then try and sneak away and then he'd wake up and be like, where are you? Um, but I don't think I was doing that all the time. I think that came kind of later in the process that at first I was just trying to push this routine thing. Anyway, 
Um, so I remember saying something to uh, my ex's aunt, who's the lactation consultant. She was, you know, being my lactation consultant at the time. Um, and she was like, oh, well, I can get you a referral to Erin, Ellen Barron if you want. Um, and then some of the other ladies from my mum's group were going. And so I was like, okay, I'll just wait and see what happens with them and then decide whether I want a referral or not. Uh, so they went and I think it was while they were there, I was at my sister-in-law's house and she had a copy of Pinky Mackay Sleeping Like a Baby on her bookshelf. And I picked it up and started reading it while we were there and then asked her if I could borrow it um, and read that. And that was, that was game changing. And then by the time these friends got back from sleep school, I asked them what it was like at sleep school and they were explaining um, the process and stuff. And I went, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not the path that I want to take. Uh, so I decided not to ask for a referral and we just kind of pushed through and kept kept cuddling him and stopped trying to push through the routines and and everything and just trying to focus on making sleep a safe space. Um, and it still took until after he was two before he really settled. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when he was about the same age as Theo is now, so about maybe 15 months to 18 months-ish, we are in um, Rocky. We were Campton and we were staying in a caravan park thing um, and I had been trying to rock him to sleep for a good hour at that point in time and then he just wouldn't go to sleep. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to chuck him in the car and take him for a drive and drove all the way to Yapoon, which is like 80 k's <laughs> on dirt roads. <laughs> Uh, on this back way to get there to the beach. Uh, it mightn't have been Yapoon, actually. It might have been just some tiny little beach town near Rockhampton. Uh, but it was like 80 k's on dirt road at night in the dark, <laughs> like 10 at night, um, and drove all the way there, all the way back before he fell asleep. So <laughs> that was pretty intense. Um just just a classic night owl by the sound of him. Yeah. Was he happy yeah. while he, like while this was going on? Was he like generally happy or was he actually really cranky and obviously tired and just couldn't get off to sleep? Uh, he was obviously tired and couldn't get off to sleep. Um, yeah, I think. I don't know. It's like eight years ago now. It's um, a bit hard to pick, isn't it? Yeah, especially when you've been trying for a while, because I know with my guy, I was used to it was a hard line to tell. It's like, is he actually now just frustrated and cranky with me yeah. because we've been trying to get him to sleep for so long, or is yeah. he actually cranky and tired? Mm. Uh, it can be challenging to know. Yeah, and also because you're getting cranky as well, and you're tired, and I'm like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we had a not a lot of nights where I just. I ended up setting up a mattress on the floor um, so that I could just lay there and kind of doze while he played. And he would often play until like midnight, 1am, before he would end up going to sleep. Um, but would he, yeah. 
Would he then sleep in longer in the morning or when would they, or oh, was yeah. he just really a low sleep needs person? No, I do think he's somewhat low sleep needs, but he would sleep in longer in the morning. So he would sleep until 10. Um, and and these days he struggles to get to sleep before 10.30, wakes up about 7. Um, so, you know, it's never been an issue for school or anything um, because he's not hugely high sleep needs. Whereas with me, my parents tell me they had the same issue with me. They could have never get me to sleep before 9 o'clock at night. Um, and I wouldn't wake up until 10. But that was my pattern the whole of my life uh, until, you know, like well in my adulthood um, that I would struggle to wake up before 9, 10 in the morning. Um, uni was difficult when I had to be at dance class for 8 o'clock in the morning every day of the week. Um, so, and then I was at dancing at night until nine o'clock at night. So I didn't even get home until 10. Um, I have to have dinner and everything and then try and get to sleep. Um, and then my aunt had been the same. I don't really know much details of her, what she was like in terms of how much sleep needs she had, but yeah. So it's definitely this, this consistent pattern, but he's got lower sleep needs than what I had as a baby. Um, it's really interesting when you start to pick the pattern as well and you can still see even though there's like some similarities he's still got his own own pattern as well and so how did you how did you go in terms of your weariness and keeping up with this baby who didn't seem to need much sleep how are you faring I mean it was it was difficult at night time because it'd be like one o'clock in the morning and he wasn't asleep um, but co-sleeping helped so much because then I didn't have to get up to feed him and everything. Um, and then I would nap with him in the day. Um, so when he did eventually nap, I would nap too. Uh, so I kept up on my sleep that way. I mean, I guess I was privileged in that sense that I wasn't working at the time, so I didn't have to. If I was trying to work at the time, I, I don't know how we would have worked that out. Um, I didn't have any overnight help. Like I was living with my mum, but my mum's on medication that, or was on medication at the time that knocked her out completely once she took it and she had to take it every night. So, um, you know, overnight was completely on me, but during the day, if I really needed to, and he wouldn't nap, then she could look after him for a while and I could get a nap. Um, so that helped. Yeah. Having that support makes a massive difference, especially when you've got, yeah, especially cause it's like, like you say, it's that it's so contingent on the day, isn't it? It was similar for my girl with that. If, if you're lucky enough that they're going to have a nap, then you might get some rest in, but some yeah. days it just doesn't work out like that. And some days you're probably okay with that. And then other days yeah. you really, really need it. So yeah. yeah. That's an yeah. interesting take on it. And so he round two, he started to, was it just that he started to sleep more easily or how did it change when he was around two? He didn't start to sleep any more easily. He just had the ability to tell me what was going on. It was probably two and a half really uh, by the time he had the words. Um, but he could tell me that he couldn't shut his brain off and that, that was what was stopping him from being able to sleep. 
And that's still what he complains about, is that he can't get his brain to shut down. Um, I have anxiety. He has definitely shown signs of having anxiety issues. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I very much understood that. Once once he could say that, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what that's like. Um, these days we do uh, meditations before bed pretty much every night. Sometimes it takes him three to be able to get to the point where he shuts off. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, so I think. How good are guided meditations for busy brains? Yeah. We love them in our yeah. house too. <laughs> They're useful. Yeah, they are useful. And I don't know about your guides. Does he need different ones or has he got like a set that is like the ones that seem to work for him? Uh, there's one that I tend to default to as our second one if he is struggling because it's the one that seems to work the best. But he does like to pick a different one each night generally. Ah, see, it's interesting because my guy, he finds it stressful to listen to too many different types of ones because mm. then his brain yeah. is paying too much attention to the meditation. Yeah. It's almost like he needs the slightly familiar like he's got like a bit of a repertoire that we listen to on rotation but yeah when the new one comes on you can he'll he'll point it out he'll be like mom this one's different and you could see yeah. he doesn't then go to sleep because he's paying attention to the meditation yeah. ah their brains they're amazing little <laughs> things aren't they yeah That's yeah Callie cool. doesn't get too affected by that but sometimes he does so we when we first started using them I very much had to say to him, you know, it's okay to fall asleep halfway through the story. You don't have to stay awake for the whole story. <laughs> These ones are meant to put you to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny. But it's, sometimes that actually helps. Like it's that real like this is actually what it, this is the purpose of this activity is yeah. to help you sleep. It's okay to fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. That's very interesting. And so with him, when you did you notice much of a difference when you welcomed your second baby then? Uh, in terms of his sleep, no, no. He was um, older by then? Yeah, I mean, he was seven when Theo was born, so um, wasn't a huge amount of, and he still sleeps with us. Um, so we have a king bed and a sidecar with baby in the sidecar and then Callaghan on the opposite side of the bed. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I don't think Theo threw out his sleep at all. I mean, jealousy issues, yes, but. Um, certainly an adjustment. <laughs> yes, certainly an adjustment. Um, but and mostly so mostly, I would say that having much older kids and a big gap has been pretty, pretty great because I get a lot more help um, with having a baby and they're a lot more able to logically understand that you know, he's not trying to get in their way or annoy them or disrupt their things or whatever. Yeah. It's just that he doesn't understand. So that's yeah, actually a bigger age gap seems to be a perk for lots of families. So with yeah. him now, so once as he got older, it was still he still has trouble with his brain like yeah. quietening down so he can actually get off to sleep. But do, yeah. does he then seem to sleep quite well once he's asleep or is it still yeah. quite disruptive for him as well? No, he sleeps quite well once he's asleep. Um, and he always has slept quite well once he's asleep. Like even as a baby, once he got to sleep, he was fine. Um, and throughout the night he would, you know, stir for milk, but you'd 
boob him and he'd be back to sleep. Um, so he didn't wake a lot during the night. It wasn't like we had to repeat this process of trying to get him to sleep four times a night or anything. Um, it was just getting to sleep in the first place. That was really difficult for him and still is. Um, and then he had uh, ENT issues. Um, so he was getting bad quality sleep for a long time because he wasn't breathing well. And honestly, I still suspect there's more going on there. Um, but we haven't managed to get it sorted out yet. Um, but yeah, he sleeps, he sleeps through fine. So, so when he, with his ENT issues, what were the signs for you that you knew that there was something not great with his sleep quality? Uh, snoring, lots of snoring. So, and coughing all the time. Um, so he still has, uh, what's it called? Um, allergic rhinitis, um, hay fever, but to dust mites. So all the time, every day. Uh, and at the moment we've been trying just having antihistamines daily to see if that helps. And I think it is slightly helping his sleep quality, but it's not helping enough with the sneaking. Um, but so when he was maybe, I don't know, seven, eight months old, he got sick and then had a cough and had a cough for months and months and months. And then that developed into snoring and then was snoring ever since then. Um, and we eventually managed to find somebody to take it seriously enough and get his adenoids and turbinates and tongue tie fixed when he was four. Um, and that helped a lot. Like he doesn't snore anymore um, unless he's really sick. Uh, but the, the breathing, he's still definitely got breathing issues, uh, still sleeps with his head pushed back, um, and when he's sick, you can still hear that his breathing's not quite right. Um, so, yeah, that was the biggest obvious factor was the, was the snoring uh, and the head tilting back. And then the ENT, so getting those things done definitely made a difference, but there still seems like there's yeah. way to go. Uh, be interesting to know, like, further investigation, what, what it ends up showing too. So when he, once he was getting that better quality sleep, could you see a difference in him by day? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was just obvious overnight he wasn't so disrupted yeah. in his sleep. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, at least he eventually got the help that he needed. It sounds like quite a long period, though, between the snoring beginning and actually getting treatment for it. Was that just delays yeah. through the system? Uh, it was a combination of things. So to begin with, I didn't know that it was a problem. Um, so there was a couple of years where I didn't know that it, you know, it was a major red flag and needed investigation. Um, and then it was trying to get a referral for the system. So we spent a year and a half on the wait list for the public hospital, um, went to the public hospital. I really did not like the ENT at the public hospital. Um, he So then we got ended up going private uh, and got a second opinion and then went back to the public hospital with that second opinion to see if we could get um, treatment through the public hospital. Um, and he was very dismissive and like tongue ties aren't a thing and 
he needs his tonsils out, even though the, the private ENT was like, his tonsils are normal size. Like, why would we take them out? It's not going to do anything. Um, and then, uh, you know, wasn't going to do anything with his turbinates and was like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe that might help. And just was very dismissive and condescending and wouldn't answer my questions. And um, so we ended up going private and getting it done there and so that was a financial thing of having to have the money because we didn't have private health at the time um and then he settled like he he came up really good he wasn't snoring and stuff for ages and then our neighbors started building their new house and he started snoring again when all the building work was being done all the dust and stuff being kicked up yeah so we went back to the ENT, the private ENT for a check just to make sure that there wasn't anything that, you know, needed reassessment or whatever. And that was fine. Um, and they were like, look, it's probably allergy stuff. You'll need to get allergy assessment. And so I got him an allergy assessment just the, at the GP with the skin prick test. And that showed up dust mite, um, but nothing else. And then... Um, just like through looking on, you know, various research and stuff and finding out more about how a lot of the time ENT issues present as kind of hyperactivity, um, and, um, you know, how much it impacts their brains to not be able to breathe properly overnight and whatever. It was like, okay, I really think I need deeper investigation. And so we started the process of going to private allergy to get more tests done, um, but they still came back with just dust mites and they were like, look, we can do desensitization, but it's going to be a five-year thing of having to do um, injections every month. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's like, intense. Yeah, five to seven years of an injection every month. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Wow. Um so, yeah, so they recommended that we just try doing um, antihistamines daily to begin with and see how that goes. So we've been doing that for maybe two months now. Um, and and that's, has that helped at all? I do think it's helping his sleep quality overnight. Like he, he had started, so at Christmas um, he'd developed these really big bags under his eyes and that was really what prompted me to go and get allergy testing done again um but uh it does seem to have helped a little bit with that it does seem to have helped a bit with his sleep quality at night but it's not helping with his daytime symptoms at all um so our next step is uh to get blood work up done and see if it's iron deficiency as well or something like that that might be causing these big bags under his eyes Oh gosh! So there's yeah. there's a fair bit to investigate then. Mm. Oh, I'm I'm just having a look at the time, and we're getting close to our thirty minute mark. But I was wondering, like, out of all of this conversation, then, if there's a tip you'd like to share with other parents, if they're wondering what they, um, they you would like to tell them about. Yeah, I guess two tips. One, my first tip that I was planning on saying would be, um, don't try and push independent sleeping like that was my big regret with him was trying to do this whole 
put him down, get him to sleep, sneak away thing. I think that just made things worse for him. Um, and it's something that I haven't done with Theo and yet I can actually step away and go and he will be okay. Um, so, I mean, if your kid is fairly chill, then you can probably get away with it. But if you've got a kid who's showing signs of anxiousness around sleep, don't try and put it because it's just going to backfire. And it did backfire for me for a long time. Um, and then my other thing would be just based on what we were talking about just now, uh, snoring is not normal. Get it investigated. So, I'm yeah. going to back that one 100% also. We've had that in our house and there is enough information now about sleep disordered breathing that we yeah. know that it, it, it isn't normal. Outside of a short period of time when they've been sick, snoring yeah. is not normal. As same with noisy breathing that goes with gasping, um, yeah, all of those things, back. head tilt to back, yeah. all of those signs are worthy of being investigated, preferably, yeah. yeah, preferably by an ENT who's an airway specialist as well would be an ideal person to be able to go see. Um, and like Nicole, if you see somebody who doesn't actually give but does the information they're giving you or the opinion they're giving you doesn't sit right, it's yeah. okay to yeah, seek a second that. opinion. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. that's what it takes. Not you. Not all specialists are created equal, and sometimes no. it does. It t- takes a couple of goes to hit someone yeah. who's actually on the money with your particular situation. So thanks for those tips, Nicole, and thanks for your time cool. today. It's been fantastic. Yeah. But I feel like we only just got the first part of your story. Would you be able to yeah. come back for another episode with us? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, though. It's been wonderful chatting and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the next part of your story. Thank you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project, and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you.